Are you ready to take your real estate investing business to the next level? Well, you're in the right place. This is the Real Estate Investing Morning Show. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. With your mentors, Wayne and Gabby. Investing Morning Show. This is your host, Wayne Hillier, coming to you from Edmonton, Alberta. Today, today is Thursday, June 9th, and we're going to be having a high of 24 degrees in the Edmonton area. Um, as I mentioned, uh, we are broadcasting live, live as we do every morning, Monday through Friday at 6 a.m. Mountain Time on the Podbean app. You can join in live on the app, you can join in on the chat, you can click the call in button and uh, call in and ask any questions you want about real estate investing. And we will answer them for free every morning, Monday through Friday. Um, also, there's some great prizes that you can win as well. If you uh, if you happen to win the top fan of the month, like Kirsten did last month, um, she won two free coaching calls. It's like 500 bucks. $250 calls, two free coaching calls. All she did was just joined in every morning and she smashed that like. She smashed that like every morning. She shared the show on Facebook, LinkedIn, and and, and all those other social media platforms. Um, and and she accumulated, uh, I guess the, the currency on this app is, is hearts, is the engagement currency is hearts. So every time you do something, you engage, you you um, you hit the heart button, you share the show, you call in, you get an accumulation of hearts. And whoever has the most hearts at the end of the month, um, we put their name into a draw and uh, we, we do a draw for top fan. And that person wins two free coaching calls. Um, as you can tell, my biggest fear, uh, my co-host is not with me today. And... Uh, what that means is that it's, it's, um, I have to talk to myself, which is extremely difficult. Um, and it means that I don't get to sip my coffee because I, when I try and sip my coffee, watch this. Absolute dead, awkward silence. <laughs> There's nothing I can do about it. Um, but there, but there actually is something I can do about it. There's, uh, there's some good news. Um, I've got a special guest today, um, who's going to help me fill that, that, uh, that void, um, that silence. And, uh, that's Calvin Hexter from Calvin Realty. Uh, Calvin's going to be joining us in about <clears throat> six or seven minutes here. And, um, he's going to answer a question that came up yesterday that's, um, frankly, I didn't really have a good answer for um, and it's not about having all the answers, um, with being an investor. It's about having the right people on your team, uh, who can answer it for you. Um, you know, the, the president of the United States, the prime, the prime minister of Canada. Okay. Everybody calm down. Everybody calm down. Just the second I say prime minister, it's like everybody just gets all crazy. Um, okay. If I can just make my point, uh, the leader of any country, <clears throat> better way to put it. The leader of any country does not have the answers to everything. They are not economics experts. They are not business experts. They are not um, natural resource experts. They are not, um, uh, they're not health experts. They're not military experts. What they do is they hire the right people below them. They build the right team, the right cabinet to, to support them, to help them make those decisions, right? Ultimately, at the end of the day, um, the party leader um, makes the decisions, quick decisions. And then they rely on their team in order to make sure that their decisions or their visions, um, for their platforms are fulfilled. Now say what you will. It's, I'm not going to get into everybody's, um, grief about those decisions and how they're played out. But at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's just important to make sure that you're just making, making decisions regardless. Um, and uh, the outcomes, they are what they are when it comes to politics, but, um, that's, that's what it's, that's what it's all about being a CEO, right? That's, it's, you're supposed to be the person in charge to make the, 
the big skill, you know, the big decisions, and then you pass off those decisions and those visions down to the people who work for you and you rely on your power team. And that's what I do as well. I rely on my power team. So when someone asked me a question like, um, hey, uh, Calvin was talking about price elasticity on the weekend at the flip tour. What does that mean? And what was he talking about? I don't know. I mean, it's pretty, it's two pretty basic words, you know, price, elasticity. It's actually kind of hard to say sometimes in the morning. Um, (laughs) But um, you know, elastic. So it kind of bounces back. So price, it goes a certain place and then it comes back. I, I, you got to get the, get what I'm getting at is it's, it's pretty simple, but like, what was he referring to, um, on the bus tour and, um, when he was talking about that? So, well, anyways, um, I can pull up a Google definition for you, but sometimes it's just better to get the, the person in and get him to talk about it. And honestly, <clears throat> We haven't had him on the show in a while anyways. Um, so I got a couple questions for him. I got a couple questions about what's going on with the market. I got a couple questions about, um, I got a question about uh, new investors. Um, considering the market is always changing, interest rates are starting to go back up, which is good. Um, good and bad, whatever, whatever your position on that. Um, but how does that affect the new investor? How does that affect the new investor who's coming into the market right now? I know how it affects me as a, as a seasoned investor with a portfolio that has a seller financing business that does rent owns, that does fix and flips. I know how it affects me. However, I'm curious how it's affecting the new investor. Um, the person who's coming in today, as opposed to the person coming in 10 years ago. Um, so th- those will be some stuff I want to talk to, to Calvin about today, and I'm sure he's going to have some good answers. Um, I'm just reading the comments here, um, in the chat. Um, Jeremy says, uh, I find talking to myself is a great way to have an intelligent conversation. Hmm. <laughs> yes. Um, don't we all wish we had a clone? <laughs> um, Kathleen in the comments says, when I, when I'm talking to myself, it's usually in a staff meeting. That is, uh, that is something I do not miss staff meetings. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I assume, I can only assume as my business, you know, continues to grow in the future, I may be conducting staff meetings. Um, but hopefully I can hire, hopefully I can even hire that and delegate that task out so that I'm not even, that's a, that's a manager's role. That's not a CEO's role. How many times did your CEO showed up to a staff meeting? Very rare. Very rare. Um, what do we got here? Um, and Jeremy's got a question for Calvin as well, which we can answer. Um, Jeremy wants to know what makes a neighborhood desirable? Are there amenities that are more important than others? It's a very good question. And actually, um, that's actually a really cool exercise that we do at our, at our cabin retreat, um, our real estate investing cabin retreats, whenever we decide to hold one again. I, I, I don't know if we're going to be holding one anytime soon. Um, the summer's pretty much written off. And even if I advertised one, another one, and tried to squeeze it in, I just know that trying to do that over the summer is just like an absolute nightmare because everybody's got camping plans and, and, uh, and, uh, family reunions and stuff like that. Uh, but we'll see. I'll save that question for, uh, for Calvin there. I'm actually going to write that down. Um, just bear with me. There's going to be a little bit of silence while I write. Um, I suppose as well, I'm a little, I'm a little uh, out of my element today. Um, I suppose I can talk about the uh, upcoming events that we have coming up. We do have a couple upcoming events uh, worth talking about. And uh, the, the first one is Friday Live Training. Um, so every Friday we do live training in our Real Estate Investing Masters Facebook group. It's a free Facebook group. 
Um, great place to meet with other ambitious real estate investors. If you haven't already, go join it. Um, it is the free version. <clears throat> now we do have a mentorship group as well, um, which is a paid version. Um, that you can definitely look into uh, as well. Go to reimasters.ca. That's that's if you're ready to take it to the next level. Do not join our mentorship group if you're not ready to go all in because I will not go easy on you and you're not going to like it. And you're going to say that Wayne was mean and he told me to do things I didn't want to do. So that's, that's, that's for the, for the, for the person who, who wants to take it to the next level and wants to scale their business. Um, that wants to be held accountable and also wants to, um, wants to be pushed. But for the free version, um, join the real estate investing masters Facebook group. Every Friday we do live training. Um, now it seems pretty fitting that I think that all of you, um, if you haven't already, you're due, you are due for a quarterly inspection. Okay. Quarterly inspections. This is my recommendation. Um, I don't care what other people on social media say, you want to listen to them, go ahead. But I've had enough experience to know that, you know, you need to be doing quarterly inspections. Um, you need to be doing inspections every three to four months. <laughs> On your properties. Um, I've been fortunate enough that I haven't run into too many crazy situations, but I've seen enough crazy situations um, that could have been avoided had you checked in. Just checked in. Say, hey, it's it's Wayne, your landlord. I'm gonna be coming by. It's springtime. I'm just gonna I'm gonna clean out the the dryer vents on the exterior. I'm gonna clean up the gutters. Okay. And I'm just going to make sure that uh, there's no repairs need to be done. We'll be there in two weeks. Okay. You give your tenant two weeks notice and then they know, oh shit, the landlord's coming. I better tidy up. All right. So at the very least, I know that my, my, my tenants are cleaning up, cleaning, wiping the surfaces down once every three or four months. The very least. I know that for a fact. I also need to go and clear up, clean out the dryer vents because I know that my tenants are not going to clean up the dryer vents in the exterior. And if anyone knows, if there's a buildup on that, it is dryer lint is extremely flammable, extremely flammable. And that would just be so dumb just to neglect that and not check in on your properties for three years and just hope to God that they are doing it. Okay. You can't rely on them for that. You really do not want your house burning down over something that dumb. And as well, I mean, you're going to go in there and you're going to change the furnace filter because I know that you put furnace filters next to the furnace, but guess what? They're not going to do it. They're not going to do it. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. It reminds me, I got to change my furnace filter. See, I, I don't even think about it. So you're going to go in there. You're going to do those little things. You're going to check the gutters to make sure they're clear. You're going to make sure all the downspouts are down. I'm pretty much giving you the whole Friday life training now. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's very important to make sure that, you know, every quarter you're going in there and, and you're checking on it. And a lot of times that's when the weather's changing as well. Um, and you, you know, you got different, you know, you got different, um, maintenance things that you need to do for your property and as well, just also just check underneath the sinks and make sure there's no leaks. I also find when I, when I send a message out to tenants and say that I'm coming, they're like, Oh yeah, by the way, that, that closet door is broken. Perfect. Not a problem. I don't even care. I'm not even mad. I'm going to bring a handyman and they're going to repair it for you. I'm going to bring a plumber and they're going to, they're going to fix that toilet that's been dripping. Right. So, um, you know, for this quarterly inspection, you know, we're, we're doing the spring one right now. So we got on Friday live training, a very long winded way of saying it, Friday live training, we're going to be doing, we're going to be covering spring maintenance steps. So different, um, uh, maintenance checklist, uh, for spring. Um, so things you should be looking for, you know, I talked about the dryer vents, talked about the gutters. We can talk about all those other things. And, um, as well, if you guys are interested, we'll talk about how to approach your tenants, um, on this topic. I know a lot of people are uncomfortable with the idea of, you know, bugging their tenants every three or four months, but it's not that bad if you approach it correctly. So join us on Friday at 6 PM in the real estate investing masters Facebook group. One other thing I want to talk about is, um, is our new advanced workshop is going to be coming up uh, at the end of the month on June 26th. So a Sunday, June 26th, we have um, an advanced real estate investing workshop and we're going to be discussing uh, building your real estate investing brand. So building your REI brand. And um, as far as titles go, 
Um, it's probably um, second most boring title um, only to like discovering your why or building a roadmap. I know. I know that building your REI brand brand sounds absolutely terrible. And to be honest, you would probably never pay money to go to a workshop like that. What I'm telling you is it is the most important thing that you need to be doing to raise money. Okay. Screw all the other courses that talk about and workshops that talk about how to raise a million dollars in a weekend. The three-step formulas for, you know, getting as many joint venture partners as you ever wanted. Okay. If you want to know how to attract opportunities and how to attract joint venture partners, you need to build a brand. Because brand is trust. And trust is everything in this game. Okay. If nobody knows who the fuck you are, they will never invest with you. If nobody knows who you are, they will never trust you to invest with you. It doesn't matter if you have the most amazing opportunity in the world and you post it on Facebook or you, you're shaking everybody's hand at a networking event. If nobody knows who you are and they don't trust you, they will not do business with you, right? Anyone who has ever done anything great in real estate investing has built a brand, okay? Think of all your heroes, fill in the blanks. You fill in whatever blank you want, whatever hero you want into that, that thing. Every single one of them has put effort into building a brand. You want to know why? It's because, I mean, that's the whole reason you know who they are, right? Because you would never know who they were unless they built a brand. And, and, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a logo or, you know, some sort of a persona. It's just how people talk about you when you're not around. It's your reputation that precedes you. So we're going to be talking about all about how to build your REI brand. I promise you this will be the most valuable thing I've put together uh, since our cabin retreat and since our mentorship program. And this is a huge part of our mentorship program as well. We're actually building up towards this is, is how to build trust with people. So you're not going to want to miss this workshop. It's on Sunday, June 26th. Details will be out today. Um, it will be a full day workshop. Okay, online. And uh, if you guys have any questions, you can just email us info at REA Morning Show. Or obviously, you know, like I said, you're going to see the details a little bit later today. Yes. Okay, so those are the upcoming events. Our guest is waiting in the queue. Hopefully, he's got his audio figured out. He's got his headphones on. Hopefully, we don't have to run into any issues with Echo. Good morning, Mr. Mr. Calvin Hexter. Good morning, Wayne. How you doing this morning? I'm pretty good. I'm great. I'm great. I'm great. That's good. That's good to hear. I'm glad. How is the audio? Is it uh, is it better? Is it the same? Is it? It's crisp as um, crisp as uh, I don't know, like <laughs> two as a <laughs> as a hot morning coffee. Yeah, your favorite bean. There you go. I was just thinking like a like a Granny Smith apple. You know what I mean? Uh, just bite that first bite into an apple. You know that that kind of crisp. Gotcha. Good. Good. I'm glad. Glad. I'm uh, happy to join you this morning, and it's much brighter out this morning than usual. Usually, it's like compete. It it feels like I'm in a bat cave when I'm calling in at six a.m. Usually, but I think it's been such a long time that the sun's starting to rise at like five a.m. ish. So it makes it yes. way easier. Must be way easier for you guys too, getting up this early, seeing the sun out and the birds chirping and all that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, like every morning it's it's my first alarm goes off. The sun is already up. I got birds chirping. Uh it makes it makes morning significantly easier than like dark, cold winter. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And probably for everybody else listening in too and interacting. Um yeah. makes it way easier. It doesn't feel like you're fighting human nature of like staying in bed until the the sun comes up so yes yes it, it kind of reminds you of like uh, mexico mornings you know what i mean in the middle of the winter how you go from like dark cold mornings and then you go to mexico and it's just like you know you just like the, you wake up and you don't even need an alarm you just stretch and it's like super sunny and you can hear like i don't know like two cans in the background and stuff that's right, <laughs> right? <laughs> that's right yeah it's uh it's, it's a pretty cool feeling as long as you've got air conditioning get your air conditioning on here pretty soon because uh that's going to be, that's going to be, it's going to be sticky mornings coming up here pretty soon. 
and not for us. We're uh, we're getting it installed June fifteenth, and make sure you get multiple quotes. We had a, a quote that came in at ninety three hundred, ninety three hundred, yeah. and the second quote was forty two hundred. <laughs> so now, if you are considering it, get a couple quotes. Just like anything, when it comes to real estate, there's a range true. to it. There's true. elasticity to it, perhaps. Right? Uh, <laughs> Segway, but I, but and I should I should jump on that segue. However, <laughs> however, I want to add one thing in there um, because uh, I made a huge mistake on this property. I went for the cheapest air conditioner. I think I I, I think it was like twenty nine hundred bucks. Uh, it was like cheap, 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 cheap. And uh, the problem uh, that we've had since uh, with this property is that it doesn't blow enough. It's not strong enough to blow to the upstairs, the second level. So it will be freezing in the basement and also the main floor, but the upstairs never gets enough pressure and there's not enough pressure to push it upstairs. So we end up closing all the vents in the basement and the main floor, and it still barely pushes enough to like our front bedroom. So we normally crank that thing up like hours in advance, you know, just to make sure we cool off our bedroom before we go to bed. It's terrible. So, you know, make sure that you're doing your research on, on the, on the, 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 the specifications and, and the, um, the, the technical stuff of the air conditioner before you go with like the cheapest, cheapest model. No kidding. I'm just disappointed. The company never told you that. Uh, you know what? He said, oh, that's the cheapest one. I can get you cheap, but you know, it's, uh, <laughs> it won't last as long as the other ones. And that's like, you know, he, it is what it is, but, uh, it's kind of like furnaces too, right? You need a strong enough furnace for the, the right square footage of the house. Right. Mm -hmm. So absolutely. Um, yeah, something to consider. Uh, it's, it's, it is what it is. But anyways, you gave me a, a terrific segue a minute ago there about elasticity. Um, wow, I'm really having a hard time saying that today. It's, uh, you know, there's, there's certain things you can do to warm up your vocals. And I would say that that's one of them. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You can use um, that in the morning before the morning show. Now it'll, it'll, it'll warm up the tongue, you know, <laughs> <laughs> crickets and elasticity. <laughs> um, yes. So. You had been talking because we, you know, you came out to uh, our fix and flip bus tour, and thank you for sponsoring that. That was fantastic, um, and thank you for for answering all those questions to our uh, to our attendees. Um, at some point, though, I I do not remember. I'm sorry. Um, you had talked about price elasticity uh, at the event, and someone had asked about it yesterday, saying, you know, what does that mean? What were you, and what were you talking about specifically? And the funny thing is, I don't even remember referencing it on the flip tour so um yeah i mean you're putting me on the spot i don't even know what it is so i should probably leave right now um no, I'm just <laughs> oh, shit. Seriously. No, I'm, just totally, I'm totally just kidding um no absolutely um i mean that's that's great that i'm you know that was a test I, i'm i'm actually really happy that someone was listening uh to what i was saying on the flip tour that was Whoever said it, I think she gets extra bonus points um, for referencing that and bringing it up yesterday. Um, so yeah. thanks for having me on. Yeah, so price elasticity in the most simplified way that you can understand it. So in certain areas of the city, there's going to be more demand than others. True or false? Uh, true. True. So you're going to have certain areas of the city that there's just going to be simply more demand. Now, why is there more demand in these areas? Usually infrastructure in certain cases, right? If there's something that's of like strong infrastructure, it might pull in a, a certain population. Could be one, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, geographical area could be another, right? You look at areas like, um, you know, look at bigger, bigger cities. You know, you look at Vancouver, you look at Toronto, specifically location, maybe location to the ocean or location to downtown or, or whatever it may be, will also draw in a larger demographic. So price elasticity in the most simplest term is essentially the, the stretch of prices that a community can offer. Okay. Now, I would say that cities have elasticity, price elasticity, but also communities as well. Let's reference a couple different communities. 
So if you're in an area, and, and we know there's always a baseline of what properties will typically sell for in an area, and that baseline is land value, right? right? So your baseline, there's always going to be a baseline. You're never going to get a, a lot for 50 bucks. Well, maybe if you go, where would you go? Where would you find a lot for 50 bucks? Let's talk about that. What's an average size lot in Edmonton? We'll say 450 square meters. If, if we wanted to get a $50 lot, you probably couldn't buy it in Edmonton. Where would you have to go, Wayne? Where do you think you'd have to go to get a $50 lot? I would either say uh, a, a lot where there was like a mass murder. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Very thinking or, outside the box this morning. I like it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, you know, right next to the tracks where there was like a, you know, a, a horrible like chemical spill. You know, you okay. could probably get a $50 lot. Or I would say small, small town where the For sure. desirability is low. Exactly. So you'd be you'd be probably traveling outside of Edmonton, far away, um, somewhere where the demand's not as hot, right? Where you can get away with it. But in in the city of Edmonton specifically, we'll talk about there's there's always going to be a bottom line baseline price, okay? And that's going to be the dirt, okay? And we all know, you know, without getting off topic, the the dirt is what appreciates, right? That's that's where we see the biggest appreciation. And and I know there's what we call forced appreciation as well, when you're actually adding value to a property. But I mean, for the most part, the appreciation comes from the the location and the size of that that lot that you have. Now, when it comes to elasticity, there's a price that comes over top of that land. And depending on the area that you're in, will determine on how much elasticity it offers. Okay. Okay. So, for example, let's consider it. We've we've referenced neighborhoods based off you know A areas. We, we go A plus, A A minus, B plus, all the way to say D minus. Okay. Right. So let's use an area like um, like Calder, for example. Okay. okay. So we do lots of work in Calder. Calder is a great area. Calder is excellent for cash flow. Every area also has certain advantages. Okay. Yeah. Think of it. Think of it like certain areas are like different car um, manufacturers. Okay, there's there's kind of a bonus for every car manufacturer. You know, you might have a smart car, or you might want something like a Ford truck, or maybe you want something like a Maserati or a Ferrari. But everyone has a different benefit. It just depends on the usage of the buyer. What is the intended use as the result? Okay. Right. So I'm not Calder's great for great for cash flow. Great for cash flow, very affordable. So Calder, for example, we might say in Calder, you know, the baseline land value of a typical lot might be 150,000. Okay. We're just gonna use that as a basic number. Standard lot, 150,000. And we're gonna we're gonna talk about what the range of price on an on a house on top of it. So if you were to buy a house in Calder, you're only going to have a certain range. So if you buy a beautiful 1,100 square foot house there, and Wayne, and you want to renovate it to the absolute 12s, yeah, okay, you're only going to be able to to hit to maximize a certain price range in that area because of the demand that's associated with that area. Uh, okay, yeah. Now let's talk about uh, a different area. Let's go to. Um, well, it, it, just for anyone who, who's not familiar with Calder, you know, the particular reason for that is because we were just talking about being close to the rails and chemical spills, which I'm not saying there's ever chemical spills off of the rails there, but Calder is right above, um, I believe what they're calling it is the Yellowhead Corridor, which is like the train tracks, right? Um, right above the Yellowhead Highway, um, there is a, a, like a, there's some train tracks there. And the closer you are to the train tracks, the less desirable it is. So that is right above it. So you're in a nice, low, affordable level or area. However, um, the desirability is pretty low, right? I just want to give that information to someone who's maybe not familiar with Edmonton. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and I, I guess in a case like that, the farther away you are from the tracks would be your, your land value would go up because of the desirability. So the but elasticity may also go up too. But yes, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Um, Another now let's talk about... What's an, what's another good area? Let's talk about a, an area that's maybe considered like a. Let's talk about an area like um, Westmount. Okay. Um, actually, no, Westmount has too many infills. Why don't we even just go to Otwell? Otwell's a really. I mean, that's. It just seems like such a common community to come up. So Otwell, we we know that the baseline price for Otwell for land is now probably instead of it being one fifty, you're probably closer to two sixty. 
okay? Just for the dirt. Yeah. But you came in and that, that same renovation that you were going to do in Calder on that 1,100 square foot property, you now did in Otwell. Right. You would be able to achieve a significantly higher, I'm not going to say significantly higher price, but you're going to be able to achieve a much higher price. You're going to see more elasticity in that market because right. people, even though the price goes up, elasticity really comes down to when the price continues to go up, what is the drop off in percentage of demand? Because that'll always happen. When you go too high in price, the demand will start to drop off. But at what point does the demand drop off? The demand drops off a lot less in areas that are more desirable. Right. Okay. If are you on a hilltop, that's a highly desirable space. Are you facing the water? You know, if you're right on the river valley. Think about the elasticity that houses have facing the river valley. Huge. Mm. Right? Yes. Because the desirability and demand. And and so think of it like the elastic band. And I think I got on in time to listen. And, and I think you referenced that early on was to give it like an elastic band. And, and the more desirable areas will have a stretchier elastic band. Okay. You've warmed that elastic band up. It's, it's moving, it's grooving, it's stretching all over the place. And then the areas that don't typically have the same elasticity, mm -hmm. that 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 same band is maybe cold, and you can't stretch it too far, or not as much. Your dollar's not going to go as far. And and we've referenced before too. You know, don't over renovate to the areas, right? And that's that that kind of comes down to elasticity as well. If you put in X amount of money, are you going to get you know, set amount of money back and you can over renovate where you spend a dollar 20. This is why I did my very first project I ever did back in 2013 as a young investor is I spent a dollar 20 and I got like a dollar, maybe 80 cents back in the end because I completely over, over renovated it for the property. And there wasn't that demand there to continue that elasticity further. Yikes. So how does someone go about um, finding out, you know, how, how elastic a, a community can be? So, you know, maybe you see something on MLS, maybe you see, um, you know, a deal that you're like, I think this is a really good price. You know, I heard that, uh, well, you know, dirt value is somewhere around 270, 280. Like, how do I know how far I can stretch this? How do I know how, how much I should renovate um, to ensure that I'm getting the best bang for my buck? Great question. And it's I'm always about simplicity because in, in, in a world of real estate investing, the easiest, like literally the easiest thing that someone can do as a real estate investor, a new real estate investor, even one that's you know been doing it for a little while, is overcomplicate it. Mm -hmm. Keep it simple. Look at the comps. Look at the comps, look at the solds, see what the renovations that were done in in in, in proven markets and and copy it. Right? You can add your own flair to it, but you can see the range as well. Get, to, get familiar with the comps in those areas. If, if in Otwell, you never see anything less than quartz countertops that are an inch thick or granite countertops that are an inch thick at a certain quality, then you probably don't want to renovate anything other than that if you're looking for a high ARV. right? And there's certain areas where you don't necessarily need to. Um, even though it seems to be common in every area now, but you, you want to take a look at the comps, get a good idea of what's selling at that high price. What's the, where's the demand? What type of product is the demand? You know, what type of renovation is the demand? And then there's at a price that you're going to associate with that, right? And it, it always comes down to our numbers, right? We talk about if we're if we're referencing flipping specifically, we talk about, you know, start with with what the ARV is going to be and work your numbers backwards. Put your renovation costs in, put your whole ticket, and then work your way backwards and see if it's worth it. So keep it keep it as simple as possible. Um, elasticity also works. So if there's any buy and holds, and I think there's a lot of buy and hold investors out there too, elasticity for rent works in a very similar sense. Okay. So you're going to have certain rental areas that are going to have more rent elasticity. And right now in the market, we're not seeing a huge, a huge difference between rental amounts 
if you have the exact same product in the North Edmonton, East Edmonton, West Edmonton, or South Edmonton, you're not seeing massive elasticity in the rental amounts overall in this in 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 our current rental market. But when the rental market gets better, we tend to see more of a separation between the better areas. Absolutely. Um, I don't want to say the better areas, but maybe the um, the more desirable areas versus the more affordable areas. Okay. So if you're buying in, in C plus B areas, you're probably not really gaining the fruits of that location yet. But when rental, when the rental market does increase, and we know that the rental market tends to increase, you know, 12 months, 18 months after we see, you know, a very strong momentum in prices in the market to the point where people can't afford it, interest rates are too high, rental market starts to see the benefits of it. And these better, or not, again, I keep on saying better, I don't want to say better. These areas that tend to be more desirable um, tend to see more of the fruits of that yes. rental market and, and more elasticity as well. So I think that's almost exactly how I referenced it. I don't think I was speaking about the rental market on the on the flip tour, but I think when it, when it comes to the, the certain communities, um, that's what I'd be referencing. Mm-hmm. I just um, I want to rewind back to just maybe thirty seconds ago when you were talking about the elasticity of um, uh, specifically for 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 flippers or for flipping. But would you say that that also applies to rentals, like properties that you're going to be renovating, like your rental properties, and also burrs as well? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because I mean, the same thing. Like, if you have a rental property that's worth you know three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. You don't want to add fifty thousand dollars worth of renovations into it to you know increase you know better the kitchen and and the flooring and the paint and stuff like that if it's not going to be worth four hundred thousand dollars right you want to make sure that the money you spend will be equal to or less than um or the money that you have in will be equal to or less than the actual value because you don't want to overspending your property and then not see you know the appreciation um, match it mm-hmm and that also exactly. goes for burrs as well. Same thing. If you're buying a property, don't think just adding a secondary suite, you know, that you're going to get dollar for dollar on your renovation. You need to ensure that you're also checking the comps to make sure that the value of the property is going to be worth more afterwards than what you have bought it for and what you are spending on it. Otherwise, you're you're underwater. I, I see that, especially on the topic of secondary suites, I see it all the time. Someone says, oh, I found this really nice house in this really nice town that I like, a really nice neighborhood. It's a really great property. It cash flows right now. And I'm going to add a secondary suite because it's going to increase my rents. And they don't put the thought into actually doing the comps first to determine, you know, how well, how much is this renovation going to cost? How much am I going to be into this property? And what's it actually going to be worth afterwards? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The, the hardest thing that I find is if, when you're trying to be a pioneer and you don't have any reference. So if you're breaking into doing something new and there's no comps to reference what your goal is, there's going to be a bit of a risk. And that's where you're going to require, that's where it's going to get a little more complicated and you're going to have to have a little more of a risk tolerance. Like think about, think of the very first single family detached and garage suite that was built in Edmonton. Mm-hmm. There's no... Or, 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 or I mean, you know, you're breaking ground in a new community that's never have that's never had a single family detached and garage suite. Like you're breaking ground in that area, and you're going to have to do a little more research because you're not going to have readily available comps, right? You could be the very first person. We're going to use, we're going to say that there was a garage suite already built in Calder. Okay, yeah. We'll say that the first one in Edmonton. It wasn't in Calder, by the way. If you guys want to know what, it, I actually have no idea where the first one is. I can probably guess though. Um, <laughs> um, I'm actually guessing Glenora. the first Glenora. one in Edmonton. Glenora. That's my money's on Glenora. <sighs> You're thinking inner city, hey? I'm I'm almost thinking. You know, it probably is inner city. I was gonna go straight west. I was gonna guess Rosenthal area. Um, okay. A lot of okay. the builders. There's, um, there's a but, lot of hidden ones. You're driving through neighborhoods and you're like, oh, look, yeah. a garage suite. And it's been yeah. there for 10 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be interesting to find out. I'm sure I could find out if I if I dug into it. Um, but sure, the, I mean, like point. Calder, you build it, you know, the garage suites in Calder and and you're in Otwell. 
Okay, so so you guys are in Otwell. You're looking at building a garage suite because you like the idea idea of it. You like that there's less turnover of tenants historically for your research that you've done in other communities, and and you like that. And and maybe it's a place that you move to. I mean, it's interesting. A lot of families will, you know, they'll they'll buy have a house. They'll put their kids in the basement as they get older, right? They'll live on the main floor when they're you know zero to ten, and then at the end of ten years, and they you know they're ten years old, and they start rebelling. You put them in the basement, get them away from you. By the age of 17, they're even worse. They're coming home drunk every night. I build a garage suite, put them in the garage suite, get them away here. And then they end up moving out. (laughs) And then they turn 25 or 30, I think is the average age of when kids move out these days is the age of 30. And, uh, and then they move out, you know, move out of the garage suite and, and move on. And then the parents end up moving in the garage suite and renting out the house and end up traveling the world. So it's interesting to see the, anyways, on a side note, how, how, how how the how the uh, the families evolve using using this type of infrastructure, but you know, say you're going to break ground in Otwell and you don't have any comps, and your only comp is called um, Calder for a garage suite. I mean, it's going to take you're going to you're probably going to have to do some math on that one. You're going to have to do some math and understanding the difference in land value and what that what's that. You're, it, there's going to be essentially an estimation of that elasticity of where you can bring your dollar to, referencing another community um, that's not. You know that's not classified as the same, you know, division. So yes. that's where it gets a little bit more challenging um, when it comes to it. Anyways, that's 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 the fun part of the job where you really have to dive in. And but but every investor always has to know there's a bit of a risk. I don't even know how we got on that topic. No, but, no, I uh, think I, I'm glad I'm glad that we did because that's another great question. That's that's a great example of price elasticity because you know how I get this question all the time. How many years ago did they? Um, did they uh, they change the the bylaws to allow for multiple secondary suites on the same lot? Was it three years ago, four years ago? Multiple ones, yeah. I want to say I don't want to get it wrong, but I think it was 2019. It was before it's, pandemic, and it, it seems like pandemic's only been six months to me. I have a hard time telling time uh, during <laughs> the pandemic. Um, I do this all the time. I feel like it was last year, but it was five years ago. Um, but once they once they made that big change that one year where you can have secondary suites and duplexes and townhouses and also you can have multiple secondary suites on the same lot every investor is like fuck yeah i've got so many big lots you know what i mean where i've got secondary suites i'm going to tear down my garage i'm going to add a garage suite i'm going to refinance i'm going to pull all that money out and i'm going to be cash flowing so good this is so amazing and yet nobody did it Mm-hmm. And people kept asking questions. Why aren't you building garage suites? Why aren't you building garage suites? And the simple answer that everybody got was there's no comps, mm-hmm. right? Because the, the sophisticated real estate investors know this. Like, I'm not going to go put $225,000 or whatever the cost is. To, it, it's a lot when you have a um, an already developed lot. It's a little bit cheaper when it's an undeveloped lot and it's a new build. But on a developed lot where you need to tear down a garage and you need to excavate all the electrical and plumbing and all that other stuff. Um, it's actually quite costly. And it was looking at like in the low 200s. And when we were analyzing these deals, so like, okay, we have our $470,000 Millwoods property, right? Sweeted house. And I'm going to be putting $200,000 into this garage suite. What's some of the value of my property going to be worth afterwards? Is it going to be worth more than $670,000? Right? Because that's four seventy for the house, right? And then plus 200 for the garage is 670. I want to make sure that it's going to be worth more than 670 afterwards. So we go and look in the comps and there's nothing, absolutely nothing. So, you know, we start doing the research on with appraisers like, hey, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Appraiser, what's the value of my property going to be? Well, they say, well, generally speaking, we'll probably give you dollar for dollar. If you can show the receipts, you may get dollar for dollar. So now I'm thinking about like, do I want to build a $200,000 building in the back of my property just to get dollar for dollar? Like that means if I'm building a 200, if I refinance that at that value, that means I'm only getting 80% of the money back, which means I just bought a new garage suite in the back for 20, 20% down, right? Does that make sense? You know, if it, if that means that I'm going to have $50,000, sorry, $40,000 left in that deal. Now, that $40,000 investment, that $40,000 I have to leave in that deal. It's very similar to like buying a townhouse. Do I want, and what's, what's the revenue I'm going to get from the garage suite? 
I need to look, okay, what's my mortgage pay down going to be? What's my cash flow going to be? What's the appreciation going to be on this $40,000 investments? And when I look at the ROI, I'm like, I could put that $40,000 to work somewhere else and get a better return on it. A very, very complicated way of looking at it, but that's what every investor did in a very, um, in a very quick way of just explaining it. They looked at it and they're like, I don't want to leave $40,000 into that garage suite because the return on the $1,100 rent is just, the ROI is not good enough. Until, of course, we start seeing investors building them and selling them on a, on a consistent, um, steady um, rate, then most, I don't think any investors are going to build them because the return is not that good on them. But if it's like secondary suites, I'll use secondary suites as an example. When you, you know, years ago when you could buy um, a bungalow or a buy level in Mill Woods for two sixty, and put one hundred and twenty thousand dollars into it, or hundred, let's say one hundred and forty thousand dollars into it, renovate it, add a secondary suite, completely renovate the whole property. You're into that property for four hundred, and it was worth four seventy. People were doing that all day, mm-hmm. right? Because when you, because when you refinance at the new appraised value of four seventy, I should know this math, but it's been a while. Um, your your eighty percent of that on your refinance is three seventy six, meaning when you refinance it and burr that thing, you've only got twenty four thousand dollars left in that deal. That's a good burr. That's a really good burr. But the problem is that when you try and do that same strategy of adding, you know, the secondary suite to the, to the garage and you're not getting any of that money back and your money's locked up in it, it's actually not that great of a, a strategy because you're not getting that return. You're not getting that money back. So, um, I mean, that's essentially why people, there's no, <laughs> there's no elasticity because there's no comps. And until someone go, comes along and starts buying up a bunch of properties in Mill Woods, add secondary suites and sells them for more than what they spent, no one's going to touch it. Someone needs to come in. And maybe that's you listeners on the morning show today. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're going to buy up suited houses in Mill Woods and you're going to add $200,000 garage suites and you're going to be into it for six seventy, dollars and you're going to sell them for seven fifty. dollars Please, for the love of God, someone go and do it. Because like Calvin, you know this, someone... Someone did that originally for secondary suites. And this is probably about 10 years ago. There were a few investors that came in and said, you know what? I'm going to go and buy these houses. I'm going to add secondary suites. I'm going to sell them for more than what I spent on it. And they established a market, right? Mm-hmm. They established a market, a new value, and the market is the market. So the new value is what is what became the new value. Right. Someone decided that I'm going to sell suited houses in Millwoods for 470 and they established a market and we've been buying them for 470 ever since. Someone did that. If I sold one in, in Millwoods to you, Calvin, for 490 today, guess what? The new value is 490. It is literally that simple. So someone needs to come along and establish a market on garage suites before we can start really seeing that as a as a um, uh, as a decent strategy. Am I correct That's in right. that? All that? Yeah. yeah, I would say so. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, that's that's really interesting. You know, I never really I, I never really was able to put a term to that. Um, I never I'd never heard of price elasticity before. I mean, obviously a lot of us know about that. It's a very it's a very basic concept of like, you know, uh, for most investors to understand that there is a, a, a a minimum and a maximum that you can see on a particular property based on the dirt value and based on what you can, what you can renovate it to and what you can sell it for. Um, however, there are a lot of new investors that just think that I can sell it for, you know what, if I, if I did this really nice, someone would definitely buy this for 600,000. But that's not, that's not how it works. <laughs> there is, there is, there's a limit to that rubber band. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, thank you so much for, for, educating me on the, on the proper definition and term of that. <laughs> um, there was a, there was a, a, one other question I wanted to touch on before, um, before we go here. Cause yeah, that, well, geez, you got 10 minutes left. Um, okay. So actually real quick, I'm just going to s- quickly skim through the comments to see if there's anything. Um, okay. Hmm. Corey asks, could you flip to, to a JV to create a comp for these types of deals? <laughs> um, could you, could I, could I flip this property? Could I add a garage suite and then sell it to my joint venture partner for 750 
to create a comp. What do you say about that, Calvin? I mean, I feel like um, you could. Yeah, you could. Um, uh, I guess... I guess your JV partner would have to be open to, you know, depending on what those interworkings would look like. Um, you definitely could, though. I mean, you could, you could do any. Let's see what what's happening in the North End. You could, you could sell a house and, you know, include property management and coaching for five years. <laughs> I bit my tongue, <laughs> but I mean, you you could, but the word gets out fast, and those what we call are false comps. And appraisers will also know that too. So yes, absolutely, 100%, you could. However, when there's an outlier, Wayne, I've talked to you about outliers before. When there's an outlier, I ask my question, my, the biggest question is why? Why is this an outlier, right? And then I dive deep and there's usually a reason why it's an outlier. We don't use outliers for comps. An outlier is that one, what's the guy's name that uh, toured to France? <clears throat> Armstrong? Armstrong. Would you say that Armstrong was kind of an outlier? Yeah, maybe I'd say so. He's kind of the guy that was so far ahead and always won, where it was like, why is he always winning? Why is he always so far ahead? And then they uh, they came in and did some testing and and realized that he was offering five years of coaching, two years of property management, and uh, he was able to get that much further ahead. <laughs> if, that, if, if my example makes sense. So an outlier is essentially something that doesn't no, really... really. <laughs> Does that make any sense? Anyways, that's that's oh, an outlier man. in a different in a, in a, in a different context. But there's there's a reason why it was an outlier, right? And so you compared <laughs> steroids to uh, <laughs> it's but, good. but but at the end of the day it was you know it was it was something that 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 created um there it created suspicion and you know if if there was lots of those if there was lots of those and it wasn't being sold by the same realtor and it didn't have the same seller name and it was happening widely across a community then i can see it happening but if it's just like a one or two off it's it's tough to to gain momentum with that um but again at the end of the day it's it's what are you going to do to get buyers to still pay that price right yeah. like cuz it's at the end of the day it's that's it that's right it. there it does it is it does it sustain does it um, it's one thing if you do it once, right. And you get your appraisal, you get your, um, you know, you get what you want, but does the community, does the investor community continue to keep buying at that particular price and selling at that price? And if it does, then that will be the new norm. However, if you're just an outlier, then it will just, no one will use it. And the appraisers will just see it, you know, as, well, that we're not going to include that one. Cause that was just an outlier. Like Kelvin said, um, uh, or eventually, if it's overinflated too much, then it eventually it'll correct itself. Everyone will just uh, eventually say that we don't want to pay for that anymore, and then it'll burst. And then, you know, you've got this uh, over mortgage property, and then the value is significantly less. So, I mean, yeah, in theory, you can do that. I would, I don't think that there's any, you'd have to educate me on RICA, um, but I don't think that there's any laws against, you know, market manipulation. Um, but I'm not exactly an expert in that, in that, uh, in that category, but, um, it definitely does happen. I, 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 there are people that do it and there are, um, people of influence that do that. And just, just, I guess I just say, be careful about your reputation as well. Um, that's another thing, obviously that's, that's quite clear right now. Um, <laughs> great question though. It's a really great question. Absolutely. Um, uh okay cool um there was one other uh, small question here that came in earlier we kind of touched on it but i know this is uh, something that you i'm saying you cover at the the cabin retreats um is a really cool exercise you do when we're talking about like neighborhoods and 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 what what um what type of things increase desirability for certain neighborhoods um now i don't really think we have time to do a, a full exercise with everyone but do you mind just listing off maybe a handful or two handfuls worth of different things that that will increase that will increase desirability for a certain neighborhood why someone would want to go to a certain neighborhood more than another mm -hmm. so infrastructure that will create a positive demand in a community um i mean lowest hanging fruit transit yeah. right 
uh, lowest hanging fruit hospital, mm-hmm. right? Uh, schools, right? If it's a highly desirable school, that that will create a lot more demand. Um, I mean, depending on the community, certain jobs as well could create more demand, right? In smaller towns, I know you 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 know you build a Costco or whatever it is, and in condos right next to it, it'll create demand into that area. Um, but think of positive, like I, I think when it comes down to it, think of positive infrastructure that you would want to be around. Like let's let's think about it in the most simplistic form. What is infrastructure that you would want to be near? And what is infrastructure you wouldn't want to be near? Well, I mean, obviously one of the most popular ones is green spaces, uh, especially even during the pandemic, it became more and more clear that people wanted to get out and go for walks. They were cooped up in their house. And, you know, do you remember like the first couple of weeks there when we were all locked down and like, you see so many people walking outside, you're like, wow, I've never seen so many people walking. Mm-hmm. Um, so we like green spaces and, and parks and stuff like that, especially, you know, uh, across the street from a property is, um, just being able to see, you know, a green space across the street as opposed to, you know, 12 other houses crammed beside each other is, is extremely desirable a place to go That's walk. Right. Um, also like, uh, what do they call them? Um, like not sports centers, but you know what I mean? Like places, um, rec centers, rec, rec centers where you can go and swimming pools and, and classes and Zumba and, you know, Absolutely. What I mean? you know those are it's- very popular. It's, it's infrastructure that is going to help support a community. So like you want to make sure like you have a hospital nearby, you want to have education, you want to have like leisure, you want to have, you want to kind of have everything, right? And there's certain communities that are built um, a little better than others that have that variety, that kind of have it all for everybody. And when it comes to things like the rec centers, you know, you never want to be facing it. You never want to be at where you're facing it and you're seeing all the traffic and you're hearing all the noise and you can't, you don't have a peaceful backyard, right? When you're buying a property, sit in the backyard, just shut up and listen. Yeah. And, and I mean, you want to be in the quieter spaces. And if you're hearing noise, if you're hearing the transit, I mean, <clears throat> you're probably too close to the action. And so if you are flipping that property, that will affect the value. Do I feel like it affects your tenants? Not so much, no. But overall, when it comes to like flipping, um, I mean, a burr will they catch it? I mean, it depends on the appraiser. Um, but but just think about you know what is what is that common infrastructure that you're going to like? Are you are you going to want to be across from a graveyard? I mean, you're going to have the quiet neighbors. You're going to be like, well, Calvin, you're going to have the quietest neighbors. But do you want to be across from a graveyard? That's my second question. <laughs> it's true. They, they, right? they are quiet. They're really quiet. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for that, Calvin. Um, now, there was one other big question that I wanted to ask, but obviously like we, we just got into like such a great conversation about elasticity. that And, and look at that. I can say it just like just rolling off my tongue now. I'm all warmed up. That's it. Uh, like elasticity, elasticity. I got it. Perfect. Um, such a great conversation on that. I didn't – I honestly, I didn't think – I thought it would be like a two minute answer. I didn't realize we could talk a whole hour about it, um, which is great. I think a lot of people got a lot of value from that. Um, the one other thing that I wanted to talk about, which I'd love to have you back on in the near future for is, um, is tips and, and uh, advice for someone looking to buy their first investment property. Um, especially in Alberta, very, very uh, specifically, you know, Edmonton, cause I know that you're an expert in this area. Um, I, I remember when I was looking and the, 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 the thoughts that I had to consider, the things that I had to consider about the market when I was starting, um, obviously things have changed, uh, dramatically, even just in the last few weeks, a few months. So, um, I put a little challenge out there, uh, I think it was last week and it was an absolute flop, absolute flop, Calvin. Like it was, it was the worst challenge I've ever done in my life. Um, I put a little challenge out there that for this week, that particular week, I'm going to try and help someone you know, buy their first rental property. You come in here, you ask any question. I want you to buy your first rental property this weekend. And like, no one jumped on it. It was just like, it crushed me. It absolutely crushed me. Cause like, I mean, how, did you ever have someone that was willing to do that for you when you were starting? No, not even in the slightest. No, not even in the slightest. No. So, I mean, it, it crushed me. I'm like, I'm always trying to come up with new creative ways to get people to take action. Like, like for God's sakes, I wake up early every morning. I do a podcast for free and I answer questions for free. 
and yet you know no one jumped on it so um i guess i i, I would maybe I'm, maybe you can help me out um and we can do a little session i don't know maybe you're available next week um on you know buying your first rental property maybe we can go through some um some different things to consider some tips um maybe some things uh, some checklists that you need to go through to make sure that you're all lined up and you're ready um mm -hmm. again just anything we can do to kind of give someone that aha moment that that they can do it would you be interested in doing that i think that'd be fun let's do it yeah yeah absolutely okay. I'll have my people contact your people and uh, we'll, we'll figure out a time for next week if you're open to it. Um, Absolutely. And, yes. and for all of the listeners, um, here you go. I mean, here it is. Uh, we got another, you know, expert coming on to kind of, you know, answer your questions. So if you have any questions regarding that uh, um, and, and you're just on the fence about like, I have the money, I've got the joint venture partner, whichever, I've got the pre-approval, but I'm just, I don't know what property to buy. I don't know which area, you know, I don't know how to do this. I don't know what to consider. I don't know what to look for. I'm concerned about cracks in the foundation. I don't know about noisy areas. I don't know about tenant profile. This is your opportunity to get those questions answered. Just list them, just write them all in a big list and we will answer all of them. Um, all we want, Calvin and I, I know Calvin's the exact same way, otherwise I wouldn't have him on. He just wants to help people. He just wants to see people buy their first property because the, the amount of confidence and assurance and certainty that comes from buying your first property is, is incredible. You would not believe how much more confident you are after you buy your first property. The second and third are so much easier, so much easier. So, um, thank you so much, Calvin. Uh, appreciate you, you coming me. on. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah. Enjoy the rest of your day. Everybody else, we will see you tomorrow morning. That everybody. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Real Estate Investing Morning Show. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Interested in being a guest on the show? Send us an email to info at reimorningshow.com.